You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. Another world. Another time. In the age of wonder. There was once a dream. You could only whisper it. Anything more than a whisper, and it would vanish. A battle between good and evil. You don't know the power of the dark side. Or shall I find a new adversary so close to my own level? Try the local sewer. You know of the rebellion against the Empire? The Avengers. Earth's mightiest heroes. Peace means having a bigger stick than the other guy. One of these days, I'm going to have a stick of my own. I'm Groot. Welcome to the Neverland Podcast. The podcast for lovers of Disney, Pixar, Marvel, and Star Wars. I'm glad you're here to tell us these things. Please welcome your host, Jeremy. I thought he'd be taller. Yeah, I can fly. All it takes is faith and trust. Well, if it isn't the Star Spangled Man with a plan, what is your plan today? Up to Neverland! <laughs> Take your pixie out of your pockets, Neverlanders, and sprinkle some pixie dust around. And you know what happens next, right? No, I don't. Oh, no, Eric forgot. Quick, everybody, clap your hands and remind Eric what happens next. You think your happiest thoughts and whoosh, we fly right off the ground and head second start of the right on our way to Neverland. Because you have to be ready. Are you ready? I, you Hopefully you are, because we need player one. In fact, I wouldn't mind player two because Luigi needs some love. <laughs> he definitely does. If you've ever played Mario Kart, you know that he definitely gives you a side eye if he loses. <laughs> well, heck, most of the time when you see him, you're getting that side eye because he seems to be walking <laughs> left and right. Two-dimensionally. <laughs> Two-dimensionally, yes. So you know... We- Oh, you know what? It's great that we're talking about uh, Luigi and Mario. You know, if there's any week to talk about things retro, it is this week, you know, where we're seeing the release of Ready Player One in theaters. Oh, definitely. I mean, I have been waiting for this movie ever since, well, I think after I I first read the book, I said, you know, this would be an interesting movie. And then uh, when finding out that they were making the movie, I was like, well, of course they are. (laughs) Not that it's the most brilliant masterpiece of a book. The fun of Ready Player One is that it really references a lot of that nostalgia and a lot of those things we loved when we were children in the 80s. Well, at least if you're our age. And, you know, the story is pretty much... You know, I, I I think it's very similar to Willy Wonka, so it's very appropriate, actually, that they've been using some Willy Wonka music slightly altered uh, in the trailers, because it is very much Willy Wonka, where you're invited into this guy's world, and he's going to give it away to just one special person. Ah, one special person who works for it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You have to prove yourself worthy. Uh, I think there might be some other similarities to another 80s movie, too. What do you think? Well, you know, uh, the book talks a lot about war games, and uh, the book itself actually kind of ends up the same way as war games without giving away too many spoilers. So, uh, hey, I'm looking forward to this. Yep, and by the time you're hearing this, I bet you've already seen this movie, and if you haven't, then um, there's probably a good reason. Maybe you just didn't understand what this was. Maybe you just didn't have time. Maybe cash is a little tight. I don't know. But... Uh, we'll probably be able to recommend that you see it, although by the, t- by the time we're recording this, we haven't seen the movie yet, but there will be a review of Ready Player One in this show. Yes. Time travel. It's amazing. Woo! 
Ooh, speaking of time travel, another great movie, Back to the Future. There's an 80s thing that's, oh, by the way, the DeLorean's in Ready Player One. There's oh, a good yes. reason to go see it. <laughs> hey, and the DeLorean isn't the only Back to the Future reference in it, because uh, they've been teasing that little, you know, chime sound at the end of the trailers that accompanied um, the score of Back to the Future. Dee dee. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, but I understand, I've heard that that's the uh, only reference to a Spielberg movie uh, that's in Ready Player One. Oh, that would surprise me. Uh, well, Spielberg might want, not want to toot his own horn too much, but we'll see. We'll see. I'm sure we'll Spielberg see. had some influence. Well, but Spielberg it, directed it, so. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, he had a little bit of influence. Well, he had some influence even on Ernie Klein, too, apparently. So he's oh, a definitely. perfect director for this. Definitely. So as you can tell, we are excited for this movie even before we've seen it, and we'll be excited after we've seen it when you hear the review of the show. So what we're going to do, we're going to do something actually that when I first started the Neverland podcast was part of my intention of being more of a retro, of remembering things when we were kids that helped keep us young. And so we're going to go all out in that direction and talk about some movies, some video games, but I'm sure we can dive into a lot of things today and just have a heck of a good time. But... uh there is something else that happened this week that was interesting. Uh-oh, what's that? Well, a certain controversial, I mean, super controversial. I mean, audiences were so divided. They didn't know whether they liked it or not. Mm. And it was a Star Wars movie. What? People divided about a Star Wars movie? Have we even talked about this? Uh, well, I think we talked about it a little bit at one time. Hmm. You know, maybe, maybe, I think we'll have to look into this one as well, then. Yes, because, well, the digital version has been out for, I guess, a couple of weeks now. Yep, two but, weeks now. Yeah, well, I finally got my copy. I actually got it Monday night to my Disney Movie Club. <gasps> I pre-ordered it. Oh. So it arrived in the mail on Monday. So I fired it up and, of course, got my digital copy set up. Mm-hmm. And I, I haven't watched the movie yet because I'm waiting for, you know, uh, Pixie Heather hasn't come home yet. She's at a teacher thing with competing students doing stuff somewhere in Missouri at the time of this recording. And I thought it would be fair only if I wait for her to come home and then we can watch it together. Wait, wait, so, wait, wait, wait. Are, are you telling me that she's isolated teaching students? She doesn't. Yeah, well, she, she's she not doesn't, teaching. She, well, well, but is she asking them to reach out with the force, you know, while she's holding a uh, leaf? Well, she is reaching out with and, and with a catheter and handing it to a student that's actually going to put a catheter, I guess, on a uh, a mannequin. Um, okay, well, um, yeah, <laughs> that, that's a completely different direction than I was going with that. Yes, it was. I'm like, yeah, it's actually not that similar. It's a, it's a competition <laughs> called with HOSA. I don't know what HOSA stands for, but all these students, it's in the sciences, and they're competing with other students in the state and that kind of thing. Uh, but anyway, so I decided I would sit and watch special features because Heather doesn't get into special features like I do. I love to watch those behind-the-scene things. And I want to just tell you all... There is a great, especially you, Eric, because you haven't gotten your copy yet, not till Thursday, uh, which by the time you hear this, it will already happen. But there is about an hour and a half documentary uh, called uh, The Director and the Four, or uh, the, Je- the, the Director of the Jedi. I think is what it was. Director but, and the Jedi. Yes, a very nice documentary, about an hour and a half, that gets a little bit of behind the scenes of making it. And uh, I really enjoyed watching that last night. But what I think also what people will really enjoy, there is a section called Balance of the Force, a very nice thing, where uh, Ryan Johnson, through that, and I think it might have been all on this one, or it might even have been some other uh, things I was watching, where Ryan Johnson actually shares what his thoughts were when making the film, to help you understand what he was trying to do with the characters that I think if you had a hard 
hard time maybe with this film. Uh, maybe go through it and hear from the director what his thoughts were on on creating this film uh, and on the balance of the force and the way he was looking at it. Uh, I, I found it to be very interesting, very compelling, and it actually does help to to make that gap of understanding of how Luke Skywalker has gotten to this point. And uh, like one of the major things when approaching this is you've got to remember that at the end of The Force Awakens, we have Luke isolating himself on this planet. And we don't know why. And with the conflict going on, and Luke knowing that there's conflict going on in the galaxy, why would he not have gotten involved? And Ryan Johnson had to take the time to find a good reason that doesn't make Luke seem like a coward. And I thought that was a very, very good point. It's like, well, of course. So he's had to have a reason why he would withdraw. And a lot of it does have to do with the balance of the Force, where maybe Luke doesn't want to step in because if he brings a new Rise of the Jedi, it seems to bring with it a Rise of the Sith to balance things out. And the Sith always bring their pain and suffering with them. And I, I really thought that was very interesting and a good take on the balance of the Force. So I highly recommend take the time to watch all these special features, especially if you love some of that behind-the-scenes stuff and the technical side. You get a lot of that. You get to watch them build some of these amazing sets and locations and a lot of practical effects. Uh, definitely highly recommend. But I, th- I think it will definitely help. You know, with with some of the people who had a hard time with this movie, if you go and kind of understand the the balance of the force that he's trying to bring about, and understanding what Luke Skywalker's perspective would be, uh, I think you really it'll add a new layer of enjoyment to the film. So I'm looking forward to now getting that perspective, watching the film for a third time, and thinking of it from that perspective of Luke afraid of causing more trouble by joining. Well, and that certainly uh, you know provides an awful lot of insight into you know what he's facing and why he's there on Octu. Yeah, so I mean Ryan Johnson is, is a much better writer I think than he got a lot of credit for by a lot of the fans. He really thought this out a lot. And you could tell though with the, the making of the film how nervous he was uh, because he knew he was taking a few risks and he knew how big this was. I mean this is Star Wars and there's that, that excitement of like, oh my goodness, we're making a Star Wars movie, but also as you can you know, from the tweets that he sent out, he really, really wanted to make sure everybody enjoyed it and he knew it was such a big responsibility. And uh, so yeah, it's it's very, very interesting to kind of get in his head for a little bit. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's also some very interesting Disney news, which I guess we better dive into before we have our fun. All right. Spanning the Disney and Geek Universe to bring you the best in comics, toys, movies, and entertainment. This is news from around Neverland. All right, I have a couple of quick announcements of some interesting things going on with Marvel Films, not just with Marvel Studios, but also over at Fox. Production has officially begun on Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel, of course, is set to come out March 8th, 2019, so we're about a year away. And this, of course, is going to follow, follow Carol Danvers becoming one of the universe's most powerful heroes when Earth is going to get caught in the middle of a galactic war between two alien races. 
the Cree and the Scrolls. So this is also set in the 1990s. It's going to be very interesting to see an unseen period within the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We've gotten to hear a lot of different things like Nick Fury without his eye patch is going to be appearing. Now, we have also seen now with computers that you can do a few tricks and you can make Samuel L. Jackson look... Yeah, about the age he was during the time of Pulp Fiction. Although, I mean, he's aged pretty well. I mean, you know, age has happened to him. It happens to everybody. I'm pretty sure they'll be able to get him to look about that same age he was in Pulp Fiction, just to kind of young him down a little bit. Uh, but we've got Brie Larson, of course, uh, Samuel L. Jackson, Ben Mendelsohn. Uh, you're going to know him from Rogue One and Ready Player One. Lashana Lynch, Gemma Chan, uh, Alginis Perez Soto, Rune Tempte, McKenna Grace. Jude Law also having a role. Now, you might have also recently seen Jude Law as playing a younger Dumbledore in a certain uh, Fantastic Beasts sequel called The Crimes of Grindelwald. Uh, But overall, we got a pretty good cast, and so this is going to be a very interesting movie, I'm pretty sure, from Marvel Studios. But while Marvel Studios is now starting production and moving forward with yet another film for next year, 20th Century Fox has pushed back their upcoming X-Men movies, X-Men Dark Phoenix and the New Mutants. Now, the New Mutants had already been pushed back once, and now it looks like it's going to get another pushback. The New Mutants was originally scheduled to open April 13th, 2018, got moved back to February 22nd, 2019, and now has been pushed to August 2nd, 2019. Uh, There's a lot of reshoots apparently going on, and even a new character being added into the film. I'm still not confident in that. But X-Men Dark Phoenix was originally going to hit the theaters November 2nd this year, 2018. It's now going to open February 14th. And this is supposed to be 10 years after X-Men Apocalypse. And, of course, is part of the Dark Phoenix saga. But, of course, just kind of having a little bit of the end of it, you don't get the entire Phoenix saga or anything like that. But this is cool. The team is supposed to embark on a routine mission into space where things quickly take a turn and they find themselves in a battle with an intergalactic force over team member Jean Grey. This gives me some hope that they're going to try to fit as much of the actual story in there. I'm, you know, I don't want to spoil anything, but... Wouldn't that be cool if they actually do part of the Phoenix Saga and then tie it over to the Dark Phoenix Saga and you get the complete story somehow? I mean, they might have to do a three-hour movie, and maybe that's why they're uh, pushing it back. Maybe they're doing a few extra shots in there and going to lengthen it out and make it good. This has me interested now. I wasn't uh, entirely sure about it at first, but this... Now I'm curious. This is ten years later, after the whole apocalypse thing. I, oh, I hope this is a good movie. This could be good. So hopefully pushing it back is so they can tweak it to make it good. And hopefully at least push back so the new mutants, they're finally going to make a decent movie out of that one as well. Personally, I'd like to see the X-Men tossed back over to Marvel Studios now that Disney controls both. It's possible for some of you this will be some sad news because I'm about to tell you that over in Disney's California Adventure, Bugs Land is about to go away for good. And you might be a little depressed about that if you're a fan of Bugs Land. I personally never got a chance to check it out. I would like to have. Uh, I've heard of the choo-choo train of the uh, caterpillar from Bugs Life that, uh, Ham, not Hampton, 
Heimlich, yes, the Heimlich choo-choo. I've heard that it is it is such a mild ride, but everybody just kind of has this soft spot appreciation for it as you're riding on a Heimlich train, and people would ride it just because, you know. <laughs> and I think some people were actually genuinely going to miss it. I think some people kind of make fun of it a little bit, but I think they're actually going to miss it. But the important thing, I guess, that the, we need to take from this story is that... Marvel is coming into the park. Now, we we knew that this was, you know, coming. We're not really surprised. I mean, because we've had that Guardians of the Galaxy ride in there, you know, and we kind of figured, you know, once Guardians of the Galaxy took over the Tower of Terror and became Mission Breakout and it was very popular, that maybe in the area we'd see a little bit more Marvel-inspired attractions moving in. Well, it has officially been announced that, yes, indeed, Marvel is going to be there, and there's even a series of posters that Disney has released online and uh, they're kind of indicating a lot of different characters coming along like Spider-Man and some of the Avengers and stuff like that uh, which actually March 19th was the end of Bugs Land and construction is already about to begin underway because in 2020 this is when all these new land this new land is coming and new attractions now we don't really know exactly what sort of attractions but there's this nice Iron Man ride that they've built in a foreign park. That would be nice to see. And who knows what kind of fun they've got in mind. This, I, it's like we knew it was coming, but we didn't know all the details. You know, Epcot, we do know there's some Guardians of the Galaxy fun that they're working on to bring into Epcot. And we know some details about that. But this, I really, you know, I don't know much of anything. Now, Disneyland Paris... They're actually going to get an Iron Man-themed roller coaster that's sort of a reimagined version of the Rock and Roller Coaster with Aerosmith. That's supposed to come in 2020, so I don't know, you know, Disney's California Adventure, they have the California Screaming, which is now becoming the Incredicoaster. They could use another roller coaster, so maybe they could build this over there. They don't have anything that's really a match for the Aerosmith Rock and Roller Coaster over in the Florida park, so maybe this Iron Man roller coaster will come over here. Or maybe it'll be the Iron Man ride like that's similar to Star Tours that they have over, I believe, in Tokyo. So we don't know, though. But uh, Disneyland Paris is going to host a Marvel Summer of Superheroes starting June 10th through September 30th, which is going to have some live-action shows and some meet-and-greets with Captain America and the Guardians of the Galaxy. And, of course, this all makes sense to start moving on this now with Avengers Infinity War just on the cusp of coming out very, very, very soon. So, very exciting things coming to Disney Parks if you happen to be a Marvel fan. Now, don't lose your head over this next story, but uh, this one's a doozy and is is sure exciting. So, starting September 28th of this year, and this will be the second year that this has happened, Disney's Fort Wilderness Resort and Campground will be Sleepy Hollow in an event called Return to Sleepy Hollow. This, of course, will have a group viewing of the 1949 Disney animated classic film The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Now, most of you perhaps don't know that this is actually part of a two-part film. This is actually The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad was the actual release, which featured the story of the Wind in the Willows and The Legend of Sleepy Hollow in one hour-long feature. Uh, maybe it's a little bit more than an hour, but it's both of these stories are compacted together in one nice feature, which you can get on Blu-ray and DVD, by the way, and I highly recommend you go and get it. I mean, you do have Mr. Toad's Wild Ride out in the parks. Well, 
at least in Disneyland, it's been pushed out of Walt Disney World, or is it Walt Disney World that still hasn't? I don't know. Winnie the Pooh has kind of moved in and kicked a lot of things out, and Mr. Toad is almost completely gone from the parks, I think. But uh, it was based off this movie of the adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. But more famously, of course, between the two is The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. But they're going to get together with this group, and you're going to watch The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, right? And this is going to, of course, inside the Tricircle D Ranch stables. And then during the events that night, you're going to see some galloping ghosts and experiencing an up-close and personal encounter with the Headless Horseman himself. Now this, of course, like I said, begins September 28th over at Fort Wilderness Resort and Campground, and it's going to run pretty much weekends throughout October at both 8 o'clock and 10 o'clock in the evening, of course. New this year, they're going to have a dessert party at 9 p.m. after the movie, and and that's, of course, if you're viewing the 8 p.m., and, of course, prior to the movie, if you're going to view that later show at 10 o'clock. So you're basically going to sit to watch the movie, but you're going to have a lot of extra fun. Now, if you're interested in doing this here this next fall, you're going to call 407-WDW-TOUR and see if you can book ahead of time. Uh, There are rules at the Walt Disney World Resort that you can book 180 days in advance for non-resort guests and 180 days plus 10 days in advance for the resort guests. All righty. Well, so now that we've gotten some of that out of the way, I tell you what, so Ready Player One, uh, of course, came out this weekend, and uh, you know what? I think it's time we have ourselves a little review. There'll be spectacle, there'll be fantasy, there'll be daring do and stuff like you would never see. You people seeing this for the first time. Kermit, I got a great picture of the chicken. Oh, good. All right, in this part of the show, I'm actually on my own because time travel. (laughs) Eric has actually had a family event because this is a holiday weekend, and so I'm on my own to review Ready Player One, which I actually went to go see on Thursday, so I'm a couple of days out from having seen the film So it may not be completely as fresh in my mind as it was a couple of days ago, but uh, overall, as a review, the non-spoiler version is this was a lot of fun. Uh, It pretty much matches the book in the fact that, you know, the book is not a masterwork by any means, but it's a lot of fun to read, and it's definitely a good time. That's pretty much what the movie is. It's it's not a masterpiece. It's not going to be one of Spielberg's greatest films, but it is a rollicking good time. And in a lot of ways, they stayed very faithful to the book. And at least with the themes of the books, they're right spot on. Uh, And so those did come across very well. There are, of course, some changes that needed to be made between the book and a feature film for licensing purposes. But overall, they captured the spirit of it. And there's only a couple of things that didn't quite work for me. Now, this might be a little spoilery, but I'm trying to be careful as well. But, you know, this is something in order to get across. In the book, you have a long time of Parsifal and Artemis, you know, spending some time together and building a bit of a relationship before Parsifal decides that he's in, wants to tell her that he's in love with her. The movie doesn't have that kind of time, so that happens a lot earlier on than you expect. Now, in the book, Artemis separates herself from Parsifal, and she, you know, they don't really see much of each other until it gets closer to the end. 
and uh, Wade has a bit of an adventure in real life at that point. Uh, but this, you know, they they have it happen a lot sooner, but they made Artemis more of a character, and another ma- massive change from the book is in the book, they don't meet each other in the real world until the end. But we have Wade meeting Samantha pretty early on in the film, and we start developing a lot more plot, and I did actually enjoy having Artemis slash Samantha more involved and more of a character uh, than what she is in the book. I mean, she's in the book a lot, but she was even more so in the movie, and I, I did appreciate that, you know, made her more of a character and gave her a bit more of a story arc. Uh, one thing, though, I, I also did not like is the design for Artemis inside the Oasis. She looked like one of the alien creatures from Jabba's palace that was singing the songs. Quite literally, she looked like one, and almost fish-like. I, I did not like the character design. And I actually thought Samantha was much prettier in real life, which is supposed to be the opposite of how she is in the book. She feels very unattractive, and but in the game world, she is, like, perfect and beautiful and everything. And I thought in the game world, she looked kind of weird. And in the real life, she's a very lovely actress. Uh, and the I think they could have maybe done a little bit more with the birthmark or whatever that she tries to hide, you know, that, that's supposed to have her slightly disfigured. It's I mean, it's barely noticeable in the film and I think they maybe should have done it more prominent because it is supposed to be something that affects her mentality and maybe says something about her character a little bit so I you know but I guess they didn't want to make a big deal of it or something I don't know Uh, but yeah some other big changes is there is a death that does not occur I'm not going to say who or anything like that but that's another big change but I was definitely okay with it uh, overall, though, this is a very good film. It's a, it's a good time. It's not going to be the greatest thing you've ever seen, but it's going to be a rollicking good time. You're going to enjoy the movie, whether or not you're a fan of the book. I highly recommend Ready Player One, and you're going to have to watch it multiple times because there were so many different things to spot in the background. I mean, not only were there some Rush references on a T-shirt and a poster, but you had Goldie Wilson for Mayor posters. Uh, there's a, a brief shot you saw in Masters of the Universe Lunchbox. I spotted Marvin the Martian. I spotted Battletoads. I mean, so much going on in the background. Some brief characters that you are going to spot uh, that it, you're going to have to watch more than one time just to try to spot all the fun little background characters. Uh, so, yeah, definitely, I had a great time with this. I'm looking forward to seeing it again sometime. And, of course, when it comes home, I will be picking up a copy. Uh, so, definitely, Raider Player 1 definitely worth your time go out have a good time and watch it there's even some star wars stuff that may i guess they had to pay out the nose a little bit uh because i spotted an x-wing fighter and there's mention of the millennium falcon uh so there's even padawan so there's definitely some star wars fun in there that's gives us qualification here in a disney show to talk about this movie to disney and beyond Alright, so now that you know how much we loved that one, of course, at the time I'm recording this, I'm only assuming I yeah, loved it. Yeah, let's hope we loved it. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that was a very good review. But, uh, oh my goodness, we have to dive in to some of what makes Ready Player One the book very awesome. Not to mention the audiobook is read by Will Wheaton, because Will Wheaton is actually president of the United States in the story. <laughs> <laughs> so that's pretty awesome. Uh, I wonder if every once in a while Patrick Stewart shows up in the Oval Office and just, and just slaps him and says, Shut up, Wesley! <laughs> <laughs> Make it so. <laughs> Make it so. 
But uh, there's a lot of things that had kind of a big impact on us in the 80s when we were youngsters growing up. And we thought we would talk about some of them. Uh, and so we've, we've compiled a list of just a few things. I mean, there's so much more we could get into. We even have a good honorable mention list. We should start throwing together all this stuff. There was so much good stuff when we were kids. And we haven't even dove into TV. Uh, but, like, we did first, you know, video games, which a lot of this is going to be on the Atari or in the arcade. But, uh, Eric, what's your first thing that you'd like to talk about? Well, you know, uh, if there's anything that just fascinated me as a kid, it was going to an arcade, seeing those machines set up. And then mm-hmm. when I would go to my grandparents' house, and they had an Atari console. Oh, oh man. I, we... we you know, hours would pass. We would be downstairs in the basement just playing mm-hmm. all of these games. And so, you know, that's really the first thing that came to my mind when we were talking about, you know, if we went, you know, looking back at these retro things that we loved and enjoyed as kids. So really the first thing um, that, that immediately came to mind was go into the basement and pop it in a copy of Space Invaders. Ah, uh, Yes. I think I was more familiar with the with the Atari version of Space Invaders mm-hmm, than too. I was in the arcade. Because <laughs> I don't think I'd ever seen it in the arcade by the time, but I knew it was this big thing when we got our Atari when uh, when we were mm-hmm, little. Mm-hmm. Same thing here. I mean, uh, you know, you get that old joystick with the nut on it. You go back and forth. You've mm-hmm. got to, you know, oh, if I shoot through that rocket ship shield thing there, I can protect myself, and yet I can <laughs> yeah. still attack them, and and I would always lose, but uh, that, that really, you know, that was one of those foremost games that uh, everybody had to have on, yeah. on the Atari system, because you know, it was bringing that arcade experience right there into your home. Yeah, and I, I don't know that I ever got smart enough to think of shooting a hole, for at least a while, of shooting a hole through my shield and trying to blast the... Uh, the aliens or whatever through that, I would I would kind of stick and move, you know. I would I would come out and blast, 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 and kind of dodge around, get behind a shield. Uh, I would always keep an eye on whatever shot was coming down at me because you know the Atari was so limited, which to us it didn't seem limited. Right. There was right. only like one or maybe two shots coming down at a time, and it came down fairly slowly, so you could get out of the way. Uh, so you, mm-hmm. I just kept an eye on where those were. The same way I play Gallica, I keep an eye on what's coming at me and just keep firing and try to also aim a little bit. Uh, but, yeah, so I, I try not to rely on those shields, but I would get behind them if it started getting kind of nasty. Mm-hmm. But uh, the, oh, the main thing with the Atari one it was that dude, dude, dude. Like Jaws theme, as they would slowly march down, and it would get mm-hmm. a little doo 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 as they're getting closer, and they start getting faster the less of it. <laughs> yeah, until yeah. you're freaking out when that last one is just buzzing down, coming at you, coming at you, coming at you. You're just like, ah! Then I can't get it. <laughs> yes. And then it was like, I'm either going to clear this and start a new thing, or I'm going to die right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and you start trying to work on that timing to get that last shot in. Like, I must get it. Well, as they, as yes. they said on Futurama years later, you were shooting where I was at, but you should have shot at where I was going to be. <laughs> yeah. And it was moving so fast, it's hard to tell where that thing was going to be. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Let's, all right, so moving on to other things, and heck, this, even on Atari, this movie, this, movie, this game got a lot of crap on the Atari, but I actually really liked it on Atari, and I, I played it more on the Atari than I did in the arcade, because, you know, frequently when you're five, six years old, you don't have a quarter, but definitely big influence, Pac-Man. Oh, yes. Got a pocket full of quarters, and I'm heading for the arcade. You had Pac-Fever, didn't you? I had Pac-Man fever. 
Pac-Man fever. Oh, well, it was designed by Toro Awatani, programmed by Shigeo Fanaki, and compo- composer Toshio Kai. Well, I guess there is some sort of sound. Woo-woo. I mean... But, uh, so this was put... Yeah, exactly. It was developed by Namco, published by Midway, and actually, apparently the idea was from a pizza with a slice missing. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's such a simplistic thing. It's just a little yellow thing eating dots. You get a power pill and you can go and eat the ghosts that are tormenting you. And each of the ghosts given a very specific programmed type of way to, to follow you and torment you uh, to make it a challenge. And the game never gets a different maze, but it just keeps getting faster. And I, like I said, I played it more on the Atari and I guess people gave it a lot of flack because it didn't quite match the arcade. The maze mm-hmm. was not the same. It was very, very different. But, you know, I played the heck out of that thing because it was still it was it was the same basic Pac-Man. It was just funny that Pac-Man did not turn towards the dots when you like went up and down. He would just kind of slide down there and you had this as you would eat the, the they were like uh, I actually had uh, one uh, friend of the family that she used to call them wafers because they looked like those little sugar mm-hmm. cookie wafers, you know what I mean? But that's what they and they do. So they, I always think of them as wafers instead of dots because they were these little rectangles. Oh, but we played the Dickens out of that thing. I loved it. And, and it wasn't until like later that I hear people say, "Oh, yeah, I hated that because it just didn't seem like the arcade game." But it was it was the same concept of the game, and it was still a lot of fun. And I learned a lot of tricks. I later when I would play it on the arcade. I was I would play it the same way and I'll use a lot of my little tricks of you know getting right next to uh, that power pellet and just waiting for them to all come after me and as soon as they got close eat that power pellet and say eat this well I'm gonna eat you rather <laughs> you know <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah oh I'll tell you I again many many hours sitting in my grandparents basement were wasted playing Pac-Man <laughs> that wasn't wasted that was quality time Exactly, exactly. (laughs) All right, well, let's hear your first movie. Oh, my first movie. Well, this one, uh, I'm going to go all the way back to the beginning of the decade, 1980. Uh, It was a simpler time, a greater time. But in Hollywood, things were a little off kilter. The Salkin brothers had released Superman, the motion picture. Richard Donner had soared to success with Christopher Reeve, and then he got fired from the sequel. However, I still really enjoyed Superman 2. Now, here you've got uh, the continuing story, you know, picking up a lot of the plot threads that, uh, you know, uh, you might remember that Superman and Superman 2 were filmed back-to-back. Yeah. And so there... And and actually, the ending to Superman was supposed to be the ending of Superman 2, where he spins the world backwards. Anyhow, you know... Again, this when I was a kid and I saw Superman, uh, I just absolutely okay. That's my guy. That's my man, Superman. Uh, and when I saw Superman too, I was just like, oh man, he's lost his powers. He's given up everything so that he can love and marry uh, Lois Lane. And who the heck are? Wait, wait, wait. Those were the guys in the first movie. What are they doing? And and they came to. Houston, Idaho. <laughs> I was Plenty grew up in Idaho. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and so you know, it, it, it kind of left me wondering. I don't think there's a Houston, Idaho here, but oh no, are these guys going to come to you know little old southeast Idaho where I'm at and and destroy everything? Is there no one on this planet <laughs> that can oppose me? Uh, not in southeast Idaho. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> but yeah. you know, and and that final battle, well, not just the final battle, but the battle in Metropolis between Zod and Superman and Ursa. Uh, you and know, nod. Yeah. Exactly. You know, and, and, you know, going through cars and trucks like they were pieces of paper. Um, man, I, I just, I loved that movie growing up. And yeah. it was actually one of the first DVDs that I bought when uh, DVDs, you know, became available. It, it was that important to me growing up as a kid. Have you gotten the, a copy of the Richard Donner cut? That I have not. I've seen it, but I don't have a copy of the Richard Donner oh, cut. Oh, man, there's some good stuff, because I, I really appreciate that. You know, he they, there was all kinds of footage that he was that he filmed that didn't end up getting used. Because mm-hmm. uh, seeing some of the scenes were so clever, and you know, compared to all right, Superman two, granted, I watched the heck out of it, and I saw I think more of it than I did the first movie uh, because it was on HBO when I was little. But you have the reveal of Superman where Lois is kind of onto him, but like, nah, it's impossible. And then he trips over a polar bear rug and falls into the fire, and that's how she finds out. I was like, well, that's interesting. But the Richard Donner cut, you've seen this entire other scene where Lois suspects something of Clark and pulls a gun on him privately in an office and fires it and Clark scolds her I can't believe that you would risk Clark Kent's life by shooting him just to find out if I was Superman and Lois says these were blanks Superman so it's just really funny and it just shows Lois Lane how smart she was and you know what that is classic Silver Age Lois Lane trying everything she can to figure out who Superman is yes I loved that reveal so much better. The only thing that's that's funny though is like because the first Superman of course still exists where he rewinds time, but then they did the rewind time thing again in Superman t- two for the the Richard Donner cut. Mm-hmm. It's a little funny to do it all over again. Yeah, but but again, that was the intention between the two movies right. was that right. it would end by uh, you know him turning back time. Oh, I just got a share flashback. Uh, <laughs> if you could find some way. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> wow. Uh, so, you know, hey, speaking of turning back time, how about you? What's, uh, what's a favorite 80s movie for you? Oh, goodness. I have to go with the one that I, I watched religiously every day over summers once I, once I had a copy of it on a VHS. And now, because this is, this is funny. I remember when I first saw a trailer for this, it was in front of some movie me and my brother and sister were going to. My parents were seeing that one movie, and we were seeing something else. And they showed a preview for this movie, and it scared me to death. Ooh. Terrified of this. But then, you know, in the first grade, I noticed that people were reading books of this. You know, there was the, the typical read-along record book, and, you know, a classmate had a book of it. And I was looking, and I said, well, these two characters, I don't remember them from the trailer. I just remember these big, scary monster things. Who are these two little elfin-looking characters? And so I was, I was bound to determine, so I'm going to have to see The Dark Crystal. And I remember the first time I watched it, we were over at uh, one of my grandparents' house on a Saturday, and it was coming on HBO. And I sat there and watched it, and boy, when it started out, it was scary. But then I was introduced to the Gelflings, and I really got behind the Gelflings to save this world from those evil Skeksis, because they were terrifying those Skeksis. But it became uh, just... There's people who, who don't really care for it. They consider it more of an art project than an actual good movie. And I'd say it's an art project and a good movie. I watched the daylights out of this thing, and they've recently released a, a Blu-ray, but it's it looks like it's a 4K set, and I haven't seen if there's a DVD Blu-ray digital copy 
Uh, I, I that's what I'd rather have because I don't I don't really want to get a 4K TV mm-hmm. just to watch a 4K. <laughs> well, I've I've actually got a, a Blu-ray copy of it, so it it exists and it's out there. But I don't know if there's a digital associated with it. But I would bet that uh, you know if you looked on Vudu, you might be able to find the digital copy. Yeah, because apparently there's a you know, with this new anniversary, there is some new stuff maybe added on. Uh, the last time they had a big anniversary set, I did get a very nice box set that actually has uh, a, a copy of the notebook where Jim Henson was sketching his notes and his ideas down in this notebook. Uh, and it's also, I think, got a, uh, uh, I think there's a film frame in there or something, I think. Oh, wow. Something like that. It's a really neat little set. And, you know, you could say that I've already got a really good copy, but but I, I, I don't have it on Blu-ray and I, I don't have it on digital, so I can't watch it in beautiful high definition. Mm. So I, I, I have to watch it again. And I am so hoping this, this new series is going to be awesome because I really have high expectations. Right, this new series that's coming to Netflix, right? Yes, on Netflix. Because it's a Jim Henson production and not a Disney production. It's not a Muppets. Mm-hmm. So, But this being the first film to ever have the guts to have no single human on screen at any time. Well, and, and wow. not just that, but uh, the, it, it was originally envisioned to not even have any uh, English language in it. So it was, yeah, and it was all going to be communicated through through sound and through gesture and pantomime. And, it, you know, it was that ambitious. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, the studio forced uh, Jim Henson to, you know, incorporate. And, and I know that there was, you know, painful work to, to find a way to fit dialogue to match, you know, what had already been filmed and, and to match the mouth movements. Mm-hmm. But you know what? We still came out with a pretty impressive piece of work. Yeah, and uh, I was looking at some of that 4K. They do have the original uh, Skeksis language Ooh. version on there, so you can watch it in the original non-English yeah, so which I have seen. I, I've got a, there was a downloaded version I managed to find where so somehow or another this had gotten leaked online. And even with the deleted scenes where the funeral scene and all this other stuff are back in, because the soundtrack, which I do have a, like a limited edition of CD of the soundtrack, which is a two disc, it has like the original LP vinyl version of the soundtrack plus a secondary soundtrack where they just lifted it directly from the film. So you get all those extra little bits of music that aren't included on the original soundtrack. So Yeah. Uh, oh, Trevor Jones, you did awesome on that film, dude. <laughs> the music is so emotional. I, In fact, I used to take cassette tapes, and I recorded that movie on cassette tapes so I could just go and listen to the tapes of the film because it was just that great. Oh, wow. Yeah. All right, back to the games. All right, back to the games. Now, uh... When I was, oh, I want to say about 12 years old, uh, so this is 1987-ish, my scout group would go bowling. And the bowling alley had, you know, several arcade machines there. There was one that really, really looked interesting. Um, It uh, was like a sewer. And you would see a couple of guys, you know, one or two guys, depending upon how many players there were, coming out, you know, these sewer tunnels and bopping, you know, crabs and turtles. And there were, like, flaming balls of fire coming at them and all all going on. And this was uh, right about the same time that the NES came out. Uh, but this was my first introduction to who we would now later know as Mario and Luigi in the original Mario Brothers. 
Yeah, the funny thing is, I didn't see this in the arcade until later. We used to play it all the time on a Commodore 64. Ooh. <laughs> That's true. I guess it was on the 64. Wow. Ooh. Oh, yes. Oh, man. Mind blown right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Maybe I, the- we, my brother and I, we got good at it on the Commodore 64, but anytime I've tried to play the actual full arcade version, I'm terrible. Mm. That's unfortunate because it really is a fun game. I mean, the it's amazing to see what concepts they took from this game as uh, the Mario series has expanded and moved on and, and gotten bigger and far beyond what this game contained. But, you know, it, it, it's simple. It's you're running back and forth. You're uh, trying to kill your enemies and trying to stay alive as long as you can. And you got that great big pow button right in the middle of the screen to mm-hmm. really do a lot of damage. Yeah, something that continued on with Mario games, that pow button every once in a while pops out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that one you really have to use some teamwork because you you got to get somebody underneath one of the crabs or turtles and hit him underneath and flip him over and then have somebody come along and kick him. Well, and usually, you know, they'd be still on the top, so you have somebody kind of waiting reserved. To, so, like, if Mario bopped up Luigi, you could run by and kick it off real quick because mm-hmm. you have to flip him over and then kick him out of the, the thing there to clean him out the pipes. Right, right. And this is long before Mario stepped into one of those pipes and got sucked into the Mushroom Kingdom for the sequel to Mario Brothers, which is Super, Super Mario, Mario Brothers. Brothers. Exactly. Which, I bet kids don't even know the Super Mario Brothers is a sequel. <laughs> I'll bet not. Mm-hmm. But we knew the Mario Brothers. We did. Because Plumman was their game, and they found the secret warp zone while working on the drain. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I guess I'll move on to my next game then. Mm. And this is one well, that... Just, uh, just, just watch your language as you're talking about this one. Yeah, I know. I I know my cuberties is a little rough. Something like that. But Cubert, and I, I remember how I got interested in this game is the character designs were, were adorable. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's this little fuzzy ball with a goofy nose. Mm-hmm. And so he was just an endearing character when you'd look at him. But I didn't really get a chance to actually play the game much until we got it on Atari. And I started getting good at it. Once you kind of get used to it, it's, it's kind of diagonal. And so it's not your typical left and right, but I kind of I learned which directions would go which way. I got my pattern down of coming down one side of the pyramid, crossing across the bottom, going up the other side of the pyramid, and then jumping and clearing the middle. And Qbert, well, I had so much fun playing that, and I really wish I could find. I bet it's somewhere online. The Qbert cartoon that ran for maybe I don't know how many episodes, but like one year because they did that Saturday morning arcade thing, and they had a Donkey Kong Jr. Mm-hmm. cartoon and a Qbert cartoon. But every week they would alternate, so you didn't get a whole lot of Qbert episodes. And don't forget, there was a Pac-Man cartoon as well. Yes. Well, that was a completely different thing. That wasn't part well, and, of that. And that was, thing. yeah, and that was Hanna-Barbera. That right. was Hanna-Barbera. But, yeah, but, and that's where we learned yeah, that I remember, Mrs. Pac-Man's name was Pepper. <laughs> but I even remember, uh, let's see, yeah, you mentioned uh, Qbert, and did you mention Donkey Kong? Uh, no, I haven't it's mentioned part of Donkey that series? Kong. Oh, okay. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, that, that Saturday morning arcade block was just... <laughs> Yeah. You know, what can you say? That was the eighties. That was that was life. Yeah. We we had our video game characters becoming cartoon characters for us. Oh yes. And not always with good <laughs> results. <laughs> uh yeah, I do remember pole position as a oh, series. Yeah. <laughs> pole position. That was about the same time I think that they had that turbo series where the teenager turned into a car. Turbo Team. Turbo Team, yes. <laughs> and, of course, we had uh, Captain N. 
Yes, Captain N, the games. And all of that, I think that was in the, the 90s, wasn't it? Uh, that, that, that was brushing right yeah, up against that. Right that was that later after Nintendo had just dominated the market with video games oh, later. Yeah. Which the Nintendo, that one, the big thing with her that is that suddenly we were seeing video games at home that actually looked like something we seen in the arcade. Because exactly. Atari didn't look like the arcade at all. <laughs> no, Atari was definitely a lot lower quality. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, with the release of uh, the E.T. video game, just completely decimated Atari's hopes for any future yeah. console work. I actually so like that, the E.T. That's e. another game. story for another time. Yeah, I liked but, the E.T. game. But, it was fun. But you know what? There is a correlation here between E.T. and Ready Player One. Uh, it was the writer, Ernie Klein who wrote Ready Player One, who actually funded and got the uh, you know, everything rolling so that they could you know, go to this landfill where it had been rumored that all of these copies of E.T. had been disposed of. And it was his action being able to get and find out that, yeah, in fact, that's where they all were. And I know that they recovered a lot of the cartridges. Yeah, and there was more than just E.T. cartridges, I remember. There's a really oh, good yeah. documentary. Hopefully it's still on Netflix. You can check it out. I uh, can't remember what it was called. But yeah, there's yeah, a good documentary yeah, yeah. on Netflix I remember watching where it has Ernie Klein and his DeLorean driving around, yep. going to the junkyard, <laughs> you know. Oh, yes. Well, it's time for our next 80s movie. All right. Well, I started uh, in 1980. I'm going to move all the way to 1989 here. You know, the summer of 1989 was a really interesting one. Yeah, it started and with I, a really dark night. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'll tell you, I didn't get to see this movie in the theaters. I had to wait until it came out on home video uh, because I spent my entire summer at a Boy Scout camp or jamboree. And so while I'm there, my brothers and my family are writing me and telling me, oh, yeah, we got to go see uh, this movie about a couple of guys who get in a, uh, a, a phone booth and go off on an adventure. I'm like, okay. And then we got to go see this other movie starring a guy who dresses like a bat. And I went... Is that the movie that everyone's talking about this summer? That they're shaving the bat symbol into their heads and they're wearing everything with a bat on it and everything is bat-tastic and bat-toosy? Yeah, yeah, it's Batman with Michael Keaton. Oh, my goodness. You know, this, you know, as much as Superman changed the way we looked at superhero movies in 1979 and 1980, uh, Batman, as directed by uh, Tim Burton, just came in and, you know, just, just reinvigorated you know, and, and sadly, it, it took, still took several years for cinema to catch up to you know what comic book movies really could be. But Batman was just absolutely amazing. You know, with uh, Michael Keaton as uh, Bruce Wayne, you had uh, Jack Nicholson as the Joker. Uh, you know, when when I think about you know. Alfred, I think about Michael Gow. When I think about Commissioner Gordon, well, no, I can't say that anymore. It, it used to be Pat Ingle, but, you know, certainly with uh, Batman Begins, I, I think of uh, Gary Oldman yeah. you know, as the, you know, definitive uh, Commissioner Gordon. But still, there's a lot, you know, just just that that film changed the way that we look at Batman so much. It, it gave Gotham a personality, which, you know, had been a staple within the comics, but you really got this dark, gothic exterior and look to the city that, you know, inspired so much that came after it with Batman the Animated Series mm -hmm. and the comics. And, you know, just it, it really was a touchstone that, you know, it was a, a, a cultural zeitgeist with every, with all of the Batmania going on, uh, all the way through to just, just it still held up as a, a great and fun piece of work even today. Yeah, I remember. I, I don't think I saw it until that October in a dollar theater. 
Uh, mm-hmm. So I went the whole summer really wanting to see it. But my mother, because her name was Robin, had some real bat issues. Because people ah. would, would, would say, hey, where's Batman, Robin? And she got tired of that when she was little. Gotcha. Uh, because, you know, you're growing up around the time of the 60s series, which I even watched the 60s series, of course, when I was a little kid, because it would come on right after He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. Mm-hmm. So I remember when I saw the first commercial for this one, and I was all in black and it was dark, and I'm like, this is not the Batman I know. What is this? <laughs> uh, but I got super excited. Now, oh, here's, here's the funny thing. Um, I'm going to confess something ridiculous. So I... I was never really a great drawer. I can kind of draw, or at least I used to. But I wanted, I loved to tell stories when I was a kid. And I started drawing kind of my own Batman comics in stick figures. And ah. this went on for years. I would draw little Batman comics and stick figures, and I started getting creative with it. And I would use different colors. And so I could, basically, the Joker was simple. You could draw like stick figure, draw crazy hair, and then put a little line with a clink, you know, hard, hard 90 degree, 80 degree angle smile on him, and Batman, you would just kind of, you know, put the ears on and draw a cape on him, and, you know, but I, so I, I wish I actually still had some of these notebooks. I used to fill notebooks up with me drawing my own little Batman comics that were only just so clever as the Joker wanted to take over the city and would mug the mayor, you know, <laughs> and say, I, I actually have a frame where you have the Joker standing there with a, with a gun, which is really just another right-angle line, and says, Mr. Mayor, I'm taking over. And that was the plot, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> 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 yeah, just just absolutely fantastic. You know, it, it was a fun movie. Um, again, it, it encapsulates a lot of what the 80s was at that time. Um, but I think your next movie also does a lot of uh, capturing the 80s. Now, you talked about your mom having a, a Batman issue being called Robin. Well, we've talked with my best friend growing up. His name was... <laughs> Adrian! Now, would it surprise you if I told you that he had a next-door neighbor by the name of Rocky? <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, but, you know, the funny thing is, it's like, I could have put... Oh, golly, and there's two different ones I really could dive into now that I think about it. I wrote one down, but I, I, it's, a, it's a tough choice between two that I could mention. But I'm going to mention both. Um... My show, I can cheat. <laughs> so, but I had not ever heard of the Rocky film franchise until my we were down in Springfield, and my cousin Melissa was talking. Oh, she was super excited that Rocky Three was going to be shown on HBO for the first time that evening. And I was like, "What? And there's three of these? What are these movies?" But uh, of course, I, I listed Rocky Four on our list. But really, I guess Rocky Three was the, was the first Rocky movie I had ever seen. Was Rocky Three, and I had heard of Mr. T. My parents wouldn't let me watch the A Team, so I had heard of Mr. T, but I wasn't familiar with him. So my first Mr. T film was as um, now my brain wants to say B. A. Baracus, but it's Clubber Lang and Rocky Three. So I didn't know any of Rocky's backstory. I'll just know he was the boxer, and you know I, I used to watch Rocky three, but Rocky four is the one I put on the list. So I'm going to dive into that because I remember being super excited because suddenly now I've seen a Rocky movie. I never saw one and two, but Rocky three was so great. And now because the Cold War was on all of our minds, it was us versus Russia. And here was a film that had, here's the American boxer and the Russian boxer, and we're going head-to-head. And that movie is a cheese fest, but I loved every minute, and I can't help it. I still do. The nostalgia overwhelms me, and the music is fantastic. That I, heck, I even made a Harry Potter fan video on one of the songs, There's No Easy Way Out, that's actually on my personal YouTube channel. If you go search for Glue Band, G-L-U-B-A-N-D. 
and you can check it out. It, it actually turned out pretty good. It's like a literal Harry Potter fan video that I did with that song because the music <laughs> is so great in Rocky films. But yeah, I just remember being super excited, although I didn't get to see that movie until it was on video, and it was an event to sit there and watch that VHS of Rocky IV. Oh, I'll bet. You know, the thing that always impressed me about Rocky IV was just the, the dichotomy between how Ivan Drago was training with all of the computerized equipment and, you know, in this gym, whereas Rocky, he went out, he was climbing the mountain, he was chopping logs, he was hauling wood around, you know, uh, you know just, just showing, you know, uh, we don't need all this fancy equipment, which actually does go back to Rocky's origins, you know, beating up that piece of meat inside of a locker. Right, <laughs> but uh, you know, it, it you know, come on, it it, it 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 had that whole Cold War aspect to it. You know, the U.S. versus Russia, and you know, yeah, that. it even had a lesson. You know, if I can change, and use can change, everybody can change, and we can learn to get along, even if we're we're afraid of each other, and 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 we're taught to hate each other. We can learn to not hate each other. Well, and it, it's also the movie that taught me that uh, if I was really rich, I could have a robot servant. <laughs> exactly. You know, I'm still waiting for those. I want my, my Rosie the robot to take <laughs> care of and clean my room for me and stuff. Oh, yes, yes. Well, we, can, we can always wish. <laughs> <laughs> we can wish. But yeah, for some reason, that, that's something that made perfect sense, but just never seemed to have happened. I don't know where they got that idea. Uh, Jetsons. Anyway, <laughs> all right, so let's, I guess it's time we got to move on to our next game. All right. Well, my next game, we've mentioned it already. It, he's big. He's bad. He's Donkey Kong. Now, and this was one of the very first uh, times that we actually got Mario as a character. He was actually known as Jumpman at the time. But, uh, <laughs> right. you know, it, it's, it's, it's classic man versus giant monkey story. You know, uh, Donkey Kong uh, was in the circus that Mario ran. Um, he kidnapped Mario's girlfriend, Pauline, and climbed to the top of this tower. And it was up to Mario to go back and rescue Pauline. Yep. I actually saw a Glove and Boots video that they've asked the question, whatever happened to Pauline? <laughs> oh, you've seen this. What happened to Pauline? And I've recently found out she is apparently now the mayor of New Donk City in Super Mario Odyssey. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, she, she things worked out well yeah. for her. <laughs> but, you know, um, uh, and of course, Donkey Kong has become its own uh, series. You know, you, you, you had the 80s spinoffs with uh, Donkey Kong Jr. Uh, but, you know, back in the 90s, you had the whole Donkey Kong Country series, which really is where a lot of, uh, you know, the current Donkey Kong nostalgia comes from. Uh, because it was such an innovative game for the Super Nintendo at that time. Uh, Donkey Kong still, was, that, was that Super Nintendo? I thought it was the 64, but... Yeah, I guess that I know, was, it was Super Nintendo. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you had uh, DK64 for the Nintendo mm -hmm. 64, um, which actually included a uh, uh, a copy of the very of the original Donkey Kong game within awesome. it. You had to play through, um, but you would have a chance to get in there and play it. So, you know, I, I remember, you know, one of the first times I saw this was uh, we were at a cousin's house and he had it on his computer. He had the original Jumpman game on his computer. He also had Donkey Kong. Wow. Um, and so just, just watching this little sprite pick up that mallet and go to town on those flaming barrels. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so again, uh, you know, Donkey Kong actually had a pretty uh, interesting history. When Nintendo first released it, uh, Universal, who owned the rights to King Kong, sued Nintendo over it. 
Well, but clearly this is a donkey and not a king. Well, donkey in uh, in in the Japanese. Well, it's a Japanese portmanteau uh, that uh, relates back to. Um, oh, well, now I'm completely lost. But uh, it it made sense in Japanese to have Donkey Kong. Uh, rather than King Kong, but uh, the end result was it uh, basically the the courts determined that uh, you know Universal couldn't dictate you know how a large monkey could be used in media, and Nintendo you know really won that case and it set a pretty significant precedent for games coming forward in the future. Now, see, how, I didn't know all that. Yeah, yeah, uh, how intellectual properties can be used and how mm. how they can't be used. Yeah, I, I think I played more of that, though, that game on the NES. We had a cartridge that was Donkey Kong and Donkey Kong Jr. Ah. Uh, but the, in order to fit both games on there, I guess they had to sacrifice. Uh, there's a few levels that I've seen in the arcade when I go to the retro arcade that I don't remember getting to play on the NES. Oh. So there are some differences, because I think uh, for Donkey Kong, you got like the three, two or three of the, the structures, but I th- I've seen a fourth structure, mm-hmm. I think. I know I've I've seen a structure in Donkey Kong in the arcade that I don't recall seeing on the old NES one that that I had at mm-hmm. least because it was a double port. But I was good at on the NES in the arcade. I'm lousy. <laughs> yeah, and but that's where you get Billy Mitchell involved. Billy Mitchell. Oh, was he the guy who was like the King of Kong? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's there there there's a story behind that guy. Uh, I think there's a documentary about it. Oh yeah. Alrighty, so my next game is, uh, well, you know, sometimes you just need food badly, because you're about to die. Well, if it's meat, then, uh... Don't shoot the food. (laughs) Don't shoot the food! And do not shoot that potion, because, you you know, you burn it away when you really want it. But it was Gauntlet. And I remember I first saw this thing in a bowling alley arcade, because that's where you go, Ah. you know. And mm-hmm. there was this biggest four-player arcade game. Holy cow. And and not just that, it wasn't four of the same characters either. Right. They were so different. Although they were basically all shooting stuff, but they had different speeds. They had you know, they were some were more powerful than others, but they had if you were powerful, you also meant you were slower. And oh my goodness, and I, I I don't know why. I, I like speedy characters, so I love playing as the elf. But so you got three characters. And, you know, I loved the Dungeons & Dragons cartoon anyway. And you're going basically through this dungeon. You're fighting ghosts and these ogres and all kinds of different scary kind of monster things and fighting them and trying to run for the exit. That, oh, my goodness, when they brought it and played it on the NES, I would play with it. You could only play two players on the NES, unfortunately. It was actually, I didn't realize it was completely different mazes. But, oh, my goodness, I love playing this on the NES. It just made my little fantasy heart go go yeehaw because like you know I'd seen like Conan the Barbarian and all that stuff and I'm like yes there's a barbarian but I still liked playing as the elf so uh elf was about to die because elf I just loved being faster than the others and get out there and whipping out those arrows like, oh man I was I was putting arrows in everything that moved it was awesome plus you could shoot through and you know in between those little gaps corner gaps you could fire arrows in between them and and get everybody before they got you <laughs> you know and you know it was a great game i mean enemies would spawn until you destroyed the you know whatever it was that they were coming out of um yeah weird generator thing yeah <laughs> yeah but you know it's just again just a, a fun good classic uh mm-hmm. arcade game one yeah, that, anywhere you get to raid a dungeon and grab the treasure, I'm cool with. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Eat that, Lara Croft. We were raiding tombs before you were. 
All right. Uh, my conversation there with Eric had to be cut short. Uh, so I'm, we're going to pick that up some other time. We only got through a few of some of the things we wanted to talk about, but we have plenty enough to fill the show anyway. But we're going to definitely pick up this topic again. We're having a good time with this, and this hopefully you're enjoying this as well. I do want to remind you that I have been live streaming Kingdom Hearts, my first time ever playing through the game. I've been live streaming it. Uh, you can watch it on YouTube, on our YouTube channel. I think you can also watch me through the PlayStation 4 uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure it'll work that way, especially if you are friends with me on there, uh, G-L-U-B-A-N-D-7-7. Uh, that is my online name. Just let me know who you are when you're you know, jumping in there so I'm like not thinking you're a spammer that's trying to friend me on, on PlayStation. But yeah, go ahead and do that and you can follow and, and watch me play. Now, there is one thing I, I feel like I'm going to restart, although I won't stream me restarting because I... There were, at the beginning of the game, you have to make these vague choices that are going to affect how you're going to be able to play the game. And after doing a little bit of research, I kind of want to change up how I made those choices. Also, on the opening island, there was a treasure chest I could see, but I could not figure out how to get to. And I learned how to do it after I had left the island. And I would like to go back and get that item because I don't know if it might be important or not. So I may restart here on my own and then pick up from, you know, I'll, I'll save in the same place that I left off when I was streaming earlier. So when you see my second stream, things may be a little different for me. But, you know, that's all. That's part of the game, I guess. But I've learned a few things on how to better get through that opening because it is so vague in the beginning of knowing what your decisions are doing on how it's going to affect how you're playing the game and your ability to carry items and your strengths and weaknesses and I'd rather be able to choose the strengths and weaknesses myself instead of getting a vague item and then saying oh you are such a friendly person and that's somehow another supposed to tell me how my character is going to react so uh, I'm probably going to restart that and then we'll see you next Saturday in fact I may stream more than once on a Saturday uh, but I also did stream a little bit of Disney Infinity 2.0. I was playing the old Spider-Man thing on there. So we're having some fun streaming some of these old Disney games. So come and check out the YouTube channel and just have some fun. And when my cough is completely out of my system, I will hook a microphone up to the controller so I can talk to you and tell you what I'm thinking. Uh, because you can sometimes tell what I'm thinking when things are kind of moving slow and I'm just kind of standing there. That I'm making a decision of some sort or maybe I'm Googling something on my phone. Uh, but overall, I'm having a good time with the game. I'm getting used to it and definitely would love for you to come along with me. And I hope you have a great holiday weekend and a fantastic week. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Neverland Podcast. We invite you back next week for more fun and adventure. Until then, remember to keep a pixie in your pocket. It's that young at heart, positive attitude that you can share with others. And remember to visit our website at NeverlandPodcast.com. There you can find links to our news page, our shop, our contact page, where you can easily send an email to podcast at NeverlandPodcast.com. You can also find our Neverlanders page, where you can find out how to become an official Lost Boy or Pixie, because girls are too clever to get lost. Become a real Neverlander! Please feel free to leave us a voicemail at 816-226-6492. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at NeverlandPCast. And like our Neverland Podcast fan page on Facebook. We also have a group on Facebook for you to join. We also appreciate your support to keep the Neverland Podcast up and running. Visit Patreon.com slash Neverland Podcast to donate to Keeping the Pixie Dust Alive. Copyright content featured on the Neverland podcast is copyright of their respective creators and used under fair use license. 
All original content is copyright of Blue Band Productions, and a very special thanks to Yeehaw Bob Jackson at yeehawbob.com for our new ending music. God bless! Yeah! Hello, everybody, this is Yeehaw Bob Jackson. Neverland Podcast, we love you. Neverland Podcast, we love you. Neverland Podcast, it's true. Neverland Podcast, we love you. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Mike Rowe here with a radical idea. If you want to see more companies make more things in this country, buy more things from more companies who make things in this country. I refer in this case to the incredible t-shirts, sweatshirts, blue jeans, and more made by my friends at American Giant. Everything American Giant makes is made in the United States. And right now, you can take 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com slash Mike. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike.